0: Welcome to today's edition of Feet to the Fire, where we're always challenging the status quo. For more cutting-edge commentary, go to FeetToTheFire.org. That is Feet, the number two, TheFire.org, and now your host. All right, well, good evening, everyone. Uh, Let's open up to 1 John chapter 2. Always fun to get into the word with you. I may start to protest. I feel like I always get the difficult passage, just by the way it works. I don't think Pastor Randy's doing that on purpose, <laughs> but it's just the way it works out. Uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right, let's pray one more time, then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. We pray that you would instruct us from your word of truth. That you would uh, encourage us and strengthen our faith, build us up. If there any are here who don't know you, we pray for their salvation, that you'd be glorified and speak through me and give me wisdom and uh, effective speech as we open up your scriptures. We love you and thank you and commit this time to you And your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump right in. We have limited time. Um, the title of tonight's, tonight's message is Our Confident Assurance. Our Confident Assurance. Um, as I often say to the college and career group when I teach them, I don't think I'm going to say something that... Uh, blows your mind, but I don't go to the scriptures with that in attempt you can get into trouble when you do that. you know try and bring something novel or new to it's just a lot of this stuff is familiar to us, but that's good because we're nourishing ourselves on the deep truths of the faith. So uh, without any more let's 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 uh, look at our thesis tonight. We have confidence well question is how, how can we have confidence in our Christian life? can we? We have confidence and assurance of salvation because God has indeed forgiven our sins number one, uh, we believe an ancient, verified message, and we have victory over Satan. He's forgiven our sins. We believe an ancient verified message. We have victory over Satan. I'll, I'll say those points as we go through. Um, let's read it and then I'll uh, make a couple quick comments just on the style of the writing, and then we'll talk about the content. It says this, First uh, John chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, First John 2:12. I write to you, little children, Because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I wrote to you, little children, because you have known the father. I wrote to you, fathers, because you have known the one who is from the beginning. I wrote to you young men, because strong you are, and the word of God in you abides, and you have overcome the evil one.n't those great words? Those are great words. We'll pause there. We'll do the rest of the passage. we'll going next week. A quick comment on the style. Um, one of the reasons I always found this confusing is I just don't know why he breaks into this. It seems like a little bit of a poem or something like that, and it's also repetitive. And I don't know if the translations do it differently. Um, some of them just say, write, 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 write in the same tense. It's actually, your, your translation probably has like, I, I wrote, I write, and then I wrote, or I am writing, and then I write. The, the verb changes a little bit, and um, I never understood why he did that either. Uh, but obviously, he's repeating, John, to make a point in this section of the letter, is repeating what he said twice to really emphasize it. And uh, they think that it was a, a letter-writing style where he wrote it in the present, and then um, uh, when he wrote it again, he, he, said, he said in the past, I wrote. So in other words, when they're reading it, they're reading it, and he had written it in the past tense. So he, he's writing a letter saying, I write to you, children and fathers and young men, for all these reasons, And then they read it again for reinforcing. I wrote to you what I just wrote to you. What I just, you just read that I wrote in the past when I wrote this letter for you and you just got, now you're reading. I wrote to you, fathers, children, young men. Does that make sense? That's why I did. I just, I'm saying that because it always confused me. Why the repetition and why the change? But he's trying to make the point to them. Listen to this important message I have for you. All right, so um, number one, we know that we have confident assurance because we're acquitted, we're forgiven. And the reason this part is so cool and he reinforces it with repetition is because, in context, John had just finished hammering all the false believers and liars. If you go back to uh, the previous section um, that was taught on, I'm not sure who taught last, but if you look at verse, go back to verse 7. I won't read the whole thing, but dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, an old one. And he's instructing them on love. And then in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brothers in the darkness, he'll stumble. So he's going after these false teachers saying, if, if, you, it, uh, if you walk like Christ, you're in Christ. If you don't walk like him, you're not in Christ. It's very stark. And that is, it, it has an absolute tone. So it's a book on assurance, and he's trying to tell the Christians there's a stark difference between you and the world. Light versus he's using these uh, back and forth, black and white things. Light and darkness. Love and hate. Walk as Jesus did. Don't walk as Jesus did. So you could walk away feeling like, well, which camp am I in? It's such I, I've, I've sinned. I still sin daily, so am I not a Christian? So in the middle of this absolute tone where he's pounding these false teachers... And false Christians, he interrupts essentially with a word of encouragement. And this is what he says in all three of those repeated phrases. This is not you, however, because you are, and he talks to the children, the fathers, and the young men. Does that make sense? This isn't you. In other words, he's saying, I'm confident of better things in you because you are of Christ. And we have that assurance. So in the first one, he says, this isn't you because you are God's Forgiven children. And he's hearkening back to 1 John 8, 1 John 1 8. If you go back there, I know this was weeks ago, but look at these wonderful truths that he's reiterating and saying, This is you. I write to you to your children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Go back to 1 John 1 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us. Chapter two, My dear children, I write this to you so that you'll not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, the other question is, who are the little children? And there's different interpretations, but I tend to think it's all Christians. Some people divide it up in different groups, the children, the fathers, the young men. I think it's all Christians because he uses, if you notice in the book of 1 John, he uses that word little children or variations of it. Dear ones, beloved, little children, all, all throughout the book. So I think he's talking generally to the church. Um, but even if it's just new converts, he's emphasizing the same fundamental gospel truth. That even though I just painted this absolute picture between the world and uh, what a Christian is, and it, it kind of smacks you in the face with that stark reality, he backs up and says, But wait, I'm writing to you, little children, dear ones, because you're forgiven. That's great news. That's great news. What are some key verses that remind us of our standing in Christ? I'll take, I only have time for one hand to go up. Give me a gentleman. A, a great verse that reminds you of the forgiveness we have in Christ. See, I put the gentleman on the spot. A forgiveness verse. No? It doesn't have the word That's okay. Okay. Hebrews 10 23. Uh... I'm on the spot, but uh, talking about the hope that we have as believers. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Oh, you're a show. No, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this that's hope it, that like, we profess? That's the ESV. That's uh, the heart of oh. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. We planned this. oh Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Thank you. Absolutely. What's another one, Dad? We've been forgiven. How about Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.10, there's no, right, no one righteous, not even one, and yet, a few verses later, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 1 John 3.19. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for others. This is how we know we belong to the truth, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Even if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Jesus laid down his life. So people ask all the time, where do you get assurance? People struggle with assurance and confidence. And I do want this to lead us into prayer because we should be praying not only with confidence, but with great joy because of your standing. So even though I get this weird reputation as a tough guy when I teach, come on, this is all compassion. This is the goodness of the gospel, isn't it? This is what uh, uh, makes us exuberant in prayer. Little children, beloved ones, church, you're forgiven. I write to you because you're forgiven. People ask, where do you get assurance? Look at the words that he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Because of the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Your forgiveness, listen, cannot be revoked because it was etched into the wooden cross. Your forgiveness cannot be revoked because it was permanently embedded into the hands of Christ, into his feet and his side and his crown. Your forgiveness cannot be revoked because it was permanently ratified when the tomb's seal was broken. That was it. It's, if you think of uh, a, a king's edict that he issues and the seal is ripped open or an inheritance, the seal is broken. There's no going back. It's finished. L- listen, there is only assurance for the Christian. There is not otherwise because it's entirely dependent on Christ and his work. Do you understand me? There is no, you don't exist. That's what John's saying. It's so good. You don't live in any other condition other than fully assured. Because those nails went into him and he was buried and he rolled that stone away and walked out. You only always have confidence. Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Are you saved? Are you saved? Well, I'll ask you a question. If you're asking that or thinking that, or if you're asking that of the text, am I saved? Have you come to believe and know that Christ is the mediator and substitute for your sins? Do you know that? Do you you know that Christ is the mediator and substitute for your sins? On account of his name, you're forgiven. Then I speak now to you, little children, just like John did. I speak to you because your sins have been forgiven to you on account of his name. And we have to remember that and live in that and understand that none of our doubting or circumstances can change what happened. The bedrock of our faith, what Christ did in his atonement and his resurrection. It's finished. All right, number two, we, we're, we're acquitted, but we also have a confident assurance because we believe an old, old story. Look at what he says to the fathers I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I'm jumping down to the other one he says to the little children I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I'm putting those together. To the spiritually mature, and I do think here he's talking to the fathers, which are the spiritually mature, and the young men that we get to are the maturing or the growing. But to the spiritually mature, he has an interrupting word of encouragement. Remember I was saying, in context, that he's doing this letter and saying, like, this is a Christian, this is not a Christian, this is a Christian, this is not a Christian. He says, but you guys, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning, the phrase from the beginning, have we seen it before in 1 John? Anybody? First. What's that? First verse. First verse. Go back to 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at in our hands of touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. That which, or what was from the beginning, that they've seen and heard and touched. Who is that? What is that? Christ. But he also says concerning the word of life. So Christ, but it's also in the beginning was the word. So it's Christ. It's the word of the gospel. You have known that from the beginning. You also see in in 2-7, he says that same phrase. Look at verse 2-7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. So the commandment he's talking about there is that you love one another. He's talking about the commandment of love, but he's saying you've had that from the beginning. But it's, it's, it's now personified in Christ. But this, this love that you had from the beginning, yes, Jesus expounded it, exemplified it better taught a fuller form of love, but you've had that from the very beginning since you heard the gospel, and you had it in the Old Testament. It was from the very beginning. Was the commandment of love new? Was the commandment of a loving and saving God, the truth of a loving and saving God, a new thing? No, it was new in that it's presented new in Christ in the gospel, but it's the same commandment from the very beginning that you have believed all the way back through the Old Testament, the gospel, the point I'm trying to make, is a thread woven throughout all Revelation. Now, if you go over also to 2.24, he uses the same phrase. He says it a couple times in the book, but I just want to leave this last one. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So he, he's building a confidence in the fact that you know what you heard. You know the commandment from the beginning that was personified in Christ. And that goes all the way back to the very beginning. This gospel message has been from the start. And that's what you believe. That's what you know. Be encouraged. You have confidence. So what's the point? Nothing about your Christian faith is new or novel or invented or strange or arbitrary or man-made or contrived. Did you say that? Did you hear me say that? I want to say that again. Nothing about your Christian faith is new or novel or invented or strange or arbitrary, man made or contrived. Think of the religions of the world and how, and even non religions like atheism, how absurd and intricate and ritualistic and carnal and groundless and random they really are. But we stand on a heritage of faith what Paul calls in Acts 26 a most reasonable gospel. Remember when he's talking to Festus and Agrippa? He's like, what I'm saying to you is it's most reasonable and true. I'm not out of my mind. That's what we stand on. You know, when we were in New York City on that missions trip, it was striking. And I'm not saying this like, uh, oh, I'm good at street evangelism. I I mean, unless you're a gifted evangelist. Really, none of us are great at it unless you're a gifted evangelist. It's really challenging to do, and it's intimidating. But you do it, and you do it with joy and with confidence in in the message you're sharing. But it was striking how much and I don't talk to people about their religion. I don't do any tricks either. I don't have, like, tricky, like, hey, want to fill out this card? <laughs> Let me tell you. I, <laughs> I, I just, I'm like, I'm like, I'm here to talk about religion. Want to talk about religion? And some people are like, no. And you're like, all right. And some people are like, yeah. And you start talking. And it's it's wild what they what the constructions that they have for their religions. And you ask them, and you're talking. And, and uh, a lot of it devolves into this moral relativism. But the Hindu gods, I'm not mocking anything, but there's these, you know, Muhammad, you've heard this before, I'm sure, he didn't come up with it. He was in a cave and had a vision, and it didn't even get written down until, I think, after he was dead. He was illiterate. Like, this is crazy. This is the stuff that people are believing, and it's all convoluted and weird and very carnal, and these pagan rituals, and we don't have any of that. We have a message. Fathers, you know him from the beginning, from the very beginning. And our faith is grounded in the imminent activity of God in history, which is why we remind ourselves and we rehearse the mighty acts of God. Because we know what we believe from the beginning. From the beginning, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Talking to Satan. That was the promise, the first proclamation of the gospel. Woman, I'm going to give you a seed, and you will crush the head of Satan. That's from the beginning what what we have come to believe. And the rest of scriptures, the unfolding of that plan. Death came... And then God crushed death when he walked out of the tomb. And it's been the same message from the very beginning. So do we have assurance from this? Yes, indeed. Fathers, you know the one from the beginning, you believed this, don't teeter now. You've you've been at this for a while, mature men and women. Obviously, he's talking all the advanced in the faith. You've been at this for a while. You've been mature for a while. Be confident. And as I said, I'm tying in that second word that was given to the little children. You've known the Father who's from the beginning. In fact, be encouraged because you have no doubts about the concrete belief you've had from the beginning. Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So when your heart brings up doubt, when you lose your confidence, look, when you're battling with the world and with I don't know. I feel like late, later in my life, now more than ever, um, I don't know if it's the pluralistic culture or the rage in the culture. It's, it, I feel challenged. I don't know if it's unbelievers over the years that have challenged me so much. Not like I'm doubting my faith. I don't mean that, but I feel challenged by the culture. And I have to be reminded, this, this is the reasonable gospel that goes all the way back from the beginning to the beginning. I know my father... From the very start, the gospel of my salvation that I believed at the outside. That is for the forgiveness of my sins. You know, I wish we had time. I don't think we do. Um, but um, if, you, if you scribble this down, I'll just read it a couple of verses. Ne- Nehemiah 9. It's on my mind because I'm in the Nehemiah class, so forgive me for that. But um, Nehemiah 9. Well, I don't have time. But they—they they just go home and read that. Nehemiah, Ezra prays this prayer with the Jewish leaders, and it's so new covenant. It's totally new covenant. It's like, God, you are righteous and we're wretched, and yet you've given us a remnant and relief for us for a moment. Can you forgive us? I mean, it's so new covenant. It's the same message. You understand, it's the same message from the beginning. Man was condemned with death by God at the garden, he promised a seed to conquer death, and then he followed through, and you see all, you can trace all the mighty acts of God until he finally walked out of that tomb and saved us. I love that. All right, and last thing, so we're acquitted, and um, we believe an old, old story, and uh, last thing is we've conquered in Christ. So to the young men, he says this, in the middle of verse 13, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one, And then at the end of verse 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So to the young men, the maturing and the eager, there's again an interrupting word of encouragement in this letter. He pauses and says, this is not you, the ones who hate and walk in darkness and stumble in the darkness. It's not you because you have overcome the evil one. And didn't we just read that? Concerning the conquering of the devil in Christ. In Christ we win. 1 John 4 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Have assurance because you will live forever. That's what John's saying. You will persevere. He turns all, do you notice he turns these absolute distinctions light, darkness, love, hate, walking as Christ, not walking as Christ. And he turns it into an absolute proposition on your assured victory. I write to you and I've written to you, young men, because strong you are. And the word of God is in you and you have overcome the evil one. Yeah, that's awesome. Already stated propositionally, that is what you are in Christ. His head's been crushed. You will win the battle against sin. You will live forever and reign with the king. And because of the word of God. I don't want to miss that. 2 Timothy 3. I'm just going to read this to you. As for you, Paul writing to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, even if you weren't saved when you were a kid, that verse still applies. From whatever that day is when the Lord opened your eyes and you were born again, from that day on, you have known the scriptures from the very beginning, which have been able to make you wise for salvation. And that's why he's able to say, men, you have won. You are victorious and you are strong because the word of God abides in you. And that's why we suffer no intruders, no pretenders, and no peddlers of false doctrine in the church. That's why we're vigilant in a church like this. Because we know that our confident assurance is grounded in the word because the word is where we find our strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says also from Nehemiah. And that's when they were reading scripture for the first time if they hadn't had it for like decades after the exile. The word of God is our strength. It gives us our confidence of the message we've known from the beginning that brings us forgiveness for our sins. I heard an old, old story how a savior came From glory. What hymn is this? Yeah. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me before I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. As we go through the remainder of 1 John, and he takes heavy shots... He's a very stark writer at all these false teachers. It should bolster our confidence and say, that's not me because I've been forgiven and because I've known this message from the very start and because God has made me strong and victorious with his word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promises of Scripture. We thank you for the encouragement from John in this epistle where he breaks out into this little message and 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 the next part he, he, he digs in again and says stop loving the world but he takes time to say you are part of god's precious bride and it's it's been done it's completed you have no need you you don't you don't abide in doubt because the very nature of the gospel is a gospel of assurance it has been completed and when the world attacks us we know the message we heard at the very beginning. That day when God opened our eyes like a blind man opened our eyes, that message hasn't changed. We're thankful for the faithful gospel of salvation. And that by your word you have saved us, Lord, help us to cling to and encourage the hearts of your saints. We love you and thank you. We pray. Amen. Amen.